You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. And I want to talk this evening about, as we think about Good Friday, this idea of sitting in darkness. Um, And I'm going to be looking in in Mark for a second, but... um, I think it's appropriate, I don't know about you, and I don't know your background in the church, but so much of the church, and, and sometimes it makes me want to pull out my hair, but I'm getting older, so I need to conserve my hair, but <laughs> makes me want to, sometimes church can feel like this big endeavor to get us happy and cheery, like that's like the real goal of church, like if we somehow are feeling low or down, or, or like there's some kind, that something's wrong. But part of what I want to do tonight is to help us remember often the way God speaks to us is in the midst of things like darkness. And again, our goal is not to stay there, but to see and maybe be a little honest where we are and see how God is speaking to us in the midst of that. So we want to look at this. I'm looking just a couple of verses in the book of Mark, chapter 15. I'll read that for us. It says, And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and if, I can, if I can encourage us this evening, one thing, I guess, and I've been reflecting on this, if we're not careful, we can sanitize this whole message of Jesus, particularly when it comes to his sacrifice. We call it the atonement when he gave up his life. We can easily sanitize it. And I think maybe sometimes that comes with people, and I would put myself there, sometimes from a privileged background, the Christian faith can become a real nice, happy, like, how can you have a better marriage? Like, six steps toward how, like, how can the resurrection help you have a better career for you? I mean, just really weird kind of stuff. Um, We have to remember that when Jesus was murdered, it was a brutal, ugly, grisly lynching. It was a lynching, and I don't use that word flippantly. In our country, in our nation, we have a horrific history when it comes to that word. Particularly for black people, the the word lynching, you don't throw that around casually. And as I, I even think about our nation's legacy, I think we're bearing a lot of the fruit of that even to this day. And it might not look like a lynching as we see the pictures from earlier in our nation's history, but we even remember just in, in recent stories of, of, of men like Stefan Clark, who lost their life in a relative's yard. And, and I think for, for, for certain populations, there's an identifying like closeness with the suffering of Christ, because there's almost a sense of understanding the pain of when these things happen unjustly. So I think, though we can compare the physical brutality, I think there's one significant difference between the atrocities that we see, like with lynching in, in America, compared to the murder of Jesus, and it's that Jesus was not a powerless victim. We've got to be very clear about that. And some might even teach this as an example of, of like the powers that be putting down. Well, that's, that might be true, but we also have to recognize Jesus was not powerless here. We know for a fact if at any moment he wanted to call down the legions and he had a lot of call down people and just wipe it, he could have done that. Because this was not just a political power play. 
The cross was the very saving, redemptive move of God at work. And we see in verse 33 that there was darkness over the whole land. So when you look at the four different gospel accounts of the crucifixion, of the story of Jesus' death, there's some differences, not in the general main big picture, but in some of the details that some of the different authors decided to include or not include. But one aspect that's consistent to all four stories is that there was this darkness. You see that in all four of the gospel books. And as we see here, in the sixth hour, darkness came over the land. And the sixth hour here, this would be in, in the Hebrew understanding of time. This was noon time, 12 o'clock. So from noon to three in the afternoon, you had this insane darkness. It was like night. And, and obviously that's crazy because it was in the middle of the day when you would have the brightest shining of the sun. It was darkness as it was night. And as Jesus was dying, it was full darkness. So it's not normal, but, but we also have to realize this was not just a coincidental, like, natural occurrence, like an eclipse, and people bring out the eclipse glasses. It was, it was nothing like that, but this darkness was supernatural in nature. There was a spiritual element of this, because in the scriptures, darkness during the day, it, it was, throughout the Bible, it was a recognized sign that God's not happy of his displeasure, It's a mark of his judgment when you see darkness during the day. So the question we should ask ourselves as we look at this descent into stark darkness during the story, who is God judging? Who is he judging? And and look what Jesus starts to cry out in verse 34 here. My God, my God. And my is the language of intimacy. When he's saying my here, it means that he has a personal level of relationship with God, his father. And how is he using my here? My God, why have you forsaken me? And what we see on the cross is that this loss that Jesus is experiencing, it's, it's enough to cause him to cry out like this. It's enough to cause him to cry out because what he was losing was this perfect embrace that he and the Father had had for all eternity. That, that's what was being changed here. Because Jesus was being cut off from the very loving arms of his father that he's always felt around him for all of eternity. So when Jesus asked this question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't a rhetorical question. Jesus was forsaken by God so that we would not have to be. That's what it meant for Jesus to send into darkness and why it became dark here, uh, there. Jesus was being cut off from the very presence of God so that you and I then can be made into right communion with God because of what Jesus did. And as we think about what happened here, I want to bring it home a little bit for us here. I want you to consider what darkness might look like in your life. Maybe another way to ask it. In what areas of your life have you become distant or separated from God? If you, if you would look at yourself. And I want to say this really clearly here. You got to hear this. This is not meant as a means to shame you or for me to try to like manipulate you emotionally so we can get some real good guilt going there. I mean, that's not the point of this because I, I actually believe our darkness is often, again, the place where God might want to draw you to himself even closer in the midst of those things. And I also want to distinguish when I'm talking about darkness right now, I'm not... Sometimes what we're talking about here is darkness that's associated with sin. 
disobedience from God. Sometimes there's darkness in our life that has nothing to do with us being disobedient from God. It's just the nature of the journey. But a few questions to ask yourself. One question, can you see? Can you see? Um, When I was younger, I used to do a lot more speaking for youth. And man, I don't know what it was. Every youth retreat was out in the middle of the stick somewhere. Um, Man, these places where you have to drive, and there's like no more street names. It's just like numbers. It's like a little scary. And um, this is back in the day when there was no such thing as a a mobile phone with this thing called GPS. Uh, There was this ancient thing called MapQuest. Um, some, some of you young bugs, you might have heard about this thing called MapQuest, and you print, print out papers, right? And you, I've got papers in one hand. I got a flashlight because, again, there's no phone with a light. I got a flashlight, and I was deathly scared to ever lose my place on that map because once I'm off there, everything looks the same, and there's no light. It's dark. And if I lost my way on that map, I'm confused, And why I ask, can you see, is in darkness, you can't see where you're going. If I lost my way, I can't see where I'm going. And what happens in that is even if you think, and some of you, you'll keep going, even if you think you're on the right direction, you feel disoriented, you feel confused. And maybe the way we can ask is, do you ever wonder, because it's not you, right, but other people, do you ever look at some people and say, man, why do they make the decisions that they do? Why the heck do they behave the way they do? What, what's wrong with them that they would make such bad life choices? Why do they do that to their family? Why do they do that to their health? Why do they do that to the church? Why do... and, and, and it's not a mental thing or an intellectual thing, right? Because sometimes it's the most powerful people in the world. Politicians, athletes, um, corporate heads who are brilliant and everything, but then they make some really dumb decisions. You're like, what's, what's going on here? Yeah, I mean, if we're honest, I'm sure you do that too, because I know I do, right? Even though I know it's right, I think. I, I make really bad choices sometimes. It's like I go off in weird directions because darkness causes a confusion. Darkness causes a confusion. I mean, darkness can even cause a distortion of reality, I was, I was laughing because I saw during the NCAA basketball tournament, and for some of you students who do nothing but study, there's this thing called like Sweet 16 and Final Four. Basketball, right? During one of the commercials, Coke. <laughs> it was just so funny because everyone's bracket was busted this year, right? Because you've got schools like Loyola, Chicago, making it to Final Four. Coke had this commercial, and it says, your bracket was perfect. It was the teams that were off. What? <laughs> Like, what it's saying is, you, you're, you're doing exactly right. It's just everyone else is messed up and off kilter. And that in so many ways describes, like, how we view reality in our culture now. Like, we determine what's right. We determine, left to ourselves, what is good, what's moral, what's okay. It's like the book of Judges says in 17.6. It's just such a convicting verse, I think, even for our nation right now. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Because what darkness causes us to do is to determine our own truth. We become the arbiter of what's right and what's right for other people as well. And it's the result of living in darkness when we don't live as God, with God as our, our light, as our guide. We think we're wise, and we might just be heading in the absolute wrong direction. We're just going in circles. We're directionless. 
So can I ask you, can you see? Is there a sense in your life where, I mean, it's not like you're not doing the Jesus thing, but you're like making decisions that are just off. Like things, and maybe you have like burned bridges behind you. Maybe you have broken relationships behind you. That's the result of it. Can you see? Or maybe there's darkness there. Another question, are you hiding? Are you hiding? Are, are you living a secret life in shame because of maybe some behaviors or some sin issues or some addictions perhaps or some, some habits that you've carried for a long time? And it's like, it's like another part of your body at this point. Is there a secret life that you have and maybe a way that I've often used to determine that in my life, how would I respond if I'm in the middle of something and someone from church that I respect walked in and saw me? Like, is there something that I'm keeping isolated, trying to find its own little room? And in that way, darkness often is the place where those things grow. And it can lead us to isolation. Darkness can also always, often lead us into this isolation when we have these areas of sin and struggle and, and that, that we've just been wrestling with and that we've been falling to. But darkness makes us be on our own and all the more important why we need a culture of honesty with one another. But maybe some of us are hiding. Another question, what do you look like? And what I mean by that is, in the dark, even if you got a mirror in front of me, um, you can't see what you look like. I mean, there's a mirror, but because it's dark, you don't get an accurate reflection of who you are. And, and maybe the way I would say this is, if, if it's dark, if you're in darkness, if your center is not on God, you, you lose your sense of who you are, your identity. Your vision of yourself gets distorted. So if you can't see who you are, what we believe is for a Christian, we reclaim this identity. We were, we were created to be sons and daughters of God. We're created to make it all about God and then everything else makes sense. But we've gotten distorted. So maybe some of the distortion is you try to establish your worth, your identity based on how well you perform in your career, in your work, in your achievements. And that starts to define who you are. Or maybe your identity, the what you see back at you, you base it based on how people approve of you or how much someone loves you or maybe how respectful you are or how popular, how many Instagram likes you get, hearts you get. You know, you start to uh, base your identity, what you see in the mirror based on things or maybe what you look like. That starts to drive your sense of who you are. Your identity is the physical appearance and I want to affirm, it's not a bad thing to have a healthy sense of accomplishment from work or uh, to receive positive affirmation from loved ones. Those are not bad things. But here's what I say. If those things become the reason that you live, if those things become the center of your existence, your identity, your sense of who you are, it will be fragile. It, it will be insecure. It's not going to be able to stand. And you will be like every other person who's lived on this big rock that we call earth. You're going to recognize those things can never fully be what you're hoping for in the depths of your soul. Because no matter how much you pursue it, it will never produce eternal light. So one last question. What's your center? What's your center? Because if we lose God as our true center... Here's the thing. We have no choice but to make ourselves the center. 
If God is not our center, our default mode is to make ourselves the center. And I would say that's the essence of sin. We reverse God's greatest commandment to love God and love others, and instead we make ourselves God. We become the center. And here's the thing. If you're the sun and everyone else is revolving around you, you will have no choice but to respond in self-protective ways. If, if we feel like our needs are not being met, we will have no choice but to feel violated and respond accordingly. Because the thing that darkness does, it creates this illusion. And you know, my mind is playing tricks. You know, it's, it, shadows cause weird things. In the darkness, this illusion is that you are the most important person on this earth. And that ultimately life revolves around how it affects us. And guys, here, here's what I want to say. The thing is, apart from God's active intervention in our lives, we are all in spiritual darkness. We, we all have a tendency to orbit our lives around things other than God. And, and it's a path that leads to destruction. Darkness, I, I said this before, darkness is ultimately, it's moving or removing the very presence of God from our lives and we would say the end result of that is the judgment of hell. Hell is not just this hot place with people with forks. Hell is the total absence, the total removal of God's love and presence from our lives for eternity. So you're like, man, I thought Good Friday was going to be like a nice cheery message. This guy stinks. He's making me feel worse and worse. Um, the, the goal of all this, to paint this desolate picture of darkness... It's to shine a spotlight on the amazing, wonderful work of what Jesus has done. Amen? Why we talk about darkness is to give us proper understanding of light and why Jesus had to go to the cross. Because you guys, you have to understand, Jesus is not just like another mythical character out there who died a heroic martyr's death and shows us how we should also be. Um, Jesus descended into the utter darkness that we were headed to. He died that death that you and I um, should have died so that we can be saved from judgment and that instead we can live in light and live in the presence of God. Because our life, our light, it came because Jesus entered willingly the confusion, the isolation, the shame of darkness, of being removed from God. And, And that was the deep love he had for you and me to be removed from the very presence of the one who he had been in perfect communion with for all of eternity. And and that for us, when we believe in Jesus, God offers us salvation from darkness to bring us into the light. So how do we do that? What do we do here? For some of you, I think it might mean first acknowledging your darkness. Man, Christians, we can keep us so sanitized But I think sometimes what holds us back from experiencing the fullness of Christ is we've got these private parts of our existence that are hidden away. But when we can bring honestly the things that in our life are keeping us distant from God, that is where God's light will shine in. And that is where God wants to meet you. And that is God where God doesn't want to pronounce judgment upon you, but he wants to give you mercy. Because for some of you, your darkness is revealing where you have become distant from God. And then here's the real important part. When you find that, believe and trust 
that Jesus died for that sin. When you find your areas of darkness and you find your sin, if you're a Christian, believe and trust and remember that Jesus died for that sin. Here's why it's so important. I was reading something with Good Friday. You see so many different stories. I was reading another part of the world. What, what, what these people were doing to remember during this Good Friday, during this whole Lent time, they had this ceremony where some members of the, the body would actually live out a crucifixion. Like they were getting, and not everyone, like a few people were getting upon these crosses and they were physically enacting a crucifixion. And, and I, I read this and my heart was breaking, but it said some, many of the mostly impoverished penitents undergo the ritual to atone for sins, pray for the sick or a better life, or give thanks for what they believe were God-given miracles. And guys, here's why it's so good, because we don't have to do that because Jesus already did. That's the whole point of this whole thing. That though we are in darkness, what the grace of Jesus does, it welcomes us to receive it. And though in one sense we grieve and mourn because we think about a loved one going through horrific lynchings, and there should be a part of us that thinks about that and is pained and wounded, but at the same time, it's deep gratitude because realize that's what gives us life, and that's what allows us to not experience that and not be separated from Father, and be able to not dwell in darkness, but rather have light come upon dark areas of our life. Because Jesus did it, and when he said it is finished, he meant business. <laughs> he says, done, y'all, I, I did it. Now trust me, live in me, find your worth in me. Stop running after the other things and find who you are in me. Because we call this Good Friday because in the brutality of the cross, Jesus accomplished what we could not. Jesus was judged in the darkness of human separation from a holy God so that you and I would not have to be judged. But guys, it's not only avoiding judgment. I think sometimes that's where we stop and we say, oh, thank God for the cross because now I don't have to endure suffering for my sin. That's, that's huge. That's part of it. But there's a huge another part, which is it's not just that we avoid suffering and, and, and wrath of God. Rather now, we get communion with God. We get to dwell with God. It's just not just that we avoid and find our way out of being punished, but it's, it's also now when we had no communion with God, now he's made us family. He calls us sons and daughters. He sees us in our darkness. He sees even those of us who know him already, and yet we continue to go back to these things. And he welcomes us back. He, he, he woos us back. He reminds us of the love of Christ. He reminds us of the way that we have been cared for even when we prefer to sometimes sit in darkness. He calls us into the light. And that's the beauty of grace. And that's why Good Friday is good news. So let me ask you to stand up with me right now. And we're going to respond in, in singing, of course. Um, we're also come to the table. But I want to I wanna invite you, before we do that, just bow your head for a moment with me. Just close your eyes for a moment with me. And I want to ask you, some of you, some of you, you're, maybe God is convicting you of areas that you are being made aware of 
that have caused you to be distant from God, if that's you, if you're a Christian, can I just offer you the mercy of Christ that you don't have to stay there because it looks like it's feeding you, but actually God wants to free you from that and draw you back to himself and be, be set into that. But for some of you in the room, I think, I, I think if you're like me, you're, you're in darkness right now in your life. It's not really a sinful thing. Maybe it is. But maybe you're just feeling a deep despair in your life. Maybe for some of you, it's a deep sense of isolation. And maybe you're feeling alone. Maybe things have gone in your life to make you feel like there's absolutely no worth in anything you've done. You're feeling like a failure. And you're sitting in darkness. Maybe for some of you, it, it's things like a depression. Or a mental hurting. Maybe for some of you, it's a physical pain. Maybe for some of you, it's a spiritual brokenness. Maybe you've come from um, abusive church situations and you're just starting to heal. Whatever it might be for you, if you would describe yourself as sitting in darkness, can I ask you to imagine the Christ, and he's not there anymore. We know that for sure. He came down. He rose from the grave. But can you imagine the Christ on that Friday, sitting there in the darkness, hanging on that tree? What does it speak to your soul to know that this Jesus hung in darkness so that he could have you, so he could have your life, so he could give you life. So if you are going through a pit right now, could I invite you to receive the good news of Jesus Christ's deep, deep love for you? Take a moment and reflect on that before we go into a time to respond to that. If you're in darkness especially, can I ask you to have a heart to say, Lord, meet me right now where I'm at. I've about given up hope. I want to hope again. Lord, we, in a sense, Lord, these remembrances that we do on things like Good Friday feel so anti our culture because it feels like the goal of church is to get our spirits back up, and that's a very significant part of it. But Lord, I also feel sometimes it's appropriate to sit there in those places so that we could experience your deep, reaching love into our lives, and we would respond accordingly. So I pray for my friends here tonight. Help us to respond. Maybe for some of us, we have been living in, in isolation. We've been hiding because of certain sin, and we're, not, we're working hard to not be found out. Maybe for some of us, we are just confused and lost in our path and we are making really bad decisions continually because we're trying to be our own God. Maybe for some of us, we've lost who we are and we can't see in that mirror anymore. We don't see anything except for what the world tells us brings us worth and we're drowning in that. Whatever it might be for us, Lord, draw us back to you here tonight. Remind us of why this is good news, that there is a Savior who loves us deeply, that he would go to the little ends of the earth and give up his own life so that we could have life and be made family with the great Father. So help us, Lord, as we come to you this evening. So what we're going to do is we're going to sing. I'm going to invite you to pray, and we're also going to receive communion. And we learn that Jesus, and this just, I, this story never, it just never grows old for me. But before he was arrested, we learned that on the, on the one evening, Jesus shared an intimate meal with his closest followers. These jokers that he knew were all going to leave him, including one that he knew was going to betray him. 
And he took a piece of bread. He broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. And he told them to eat it. He took this cup. He said, drink of this cup and be reminded of the shed blood that forgives you of your sins, that makes you right with God. And that's why we remember this regularly on Sundays, but also this evening. And I'm going to invite you, if you follow Jesus, if you're a Christian, sometime during this time here, come up, take a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, and remember Jesus' loving, deep sacrifice for you, his descent into darkness, so that we could be brought out of darkness into light. If you're not a Christian, I would encourage you to pray tonight. Maybe if you have questions, you can talk. Or maybe you would respond to Christ's call to your life tonight. And you say, I want him to rescue me as well. I want to be out of darkness tonight. I want to trust Jesus. Maybe you can come receive communion as your first time saying, I trust in this Jesus for my life. So whenever you're ready, you can start to come up to my left, the right aisle to you. Let's start to make a line this way. And you can come up. And uh, we'll all come to one table together that way. So just start lining up in the aisle to your right here. We're going to be singing. We're going to be praying as well. If you'd like to pray with me or anyone else, find some people, pray. We'd love to pray with you. But let's respond to what the Lord is doing in our midst.